It's been like a really cool moment to see God, and I, my prayer for this like church through this is that we're going to be a church that continues to do this, to see and like kind of uh, fan the flame of like what God is doing in people's lives. And so I'm really honored to be up here and to be a part of uh, Ashley's first sermon. This is my first sermon in front of all of you guys, and this is Ashley's first sermon ever. So we thought let's do it together. We'll see what happens. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we can dive in. So, God, we, we thank you so much for who you are, for the words that we sang this morning about your character and the way that you, the way that you, you, you transform hearts, the way that you, you move towards us. And, God, this, this morning, whether you're, there's probably a lot of people in this, in this room either like, can this sermon be 10 minutes long? Others who are here with a hunger to, to hear your word, God, I pray that you would speak to each person here, that you would, you, would, you would touch hearts, and most of all, that you would be glorified this morning. So we, we pray those things in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing this series through the summer on the classics, the, one, the stories in the Bible that you probably heard. If you grew up in the church and you were in Sunday school, Sunday school, you would have heard some of these. And this morning, we're doing Jonah. So in the past few weeks, we've been in Gideon. We've been doing, uh, what have we been doing? Daniel and uh, David and Goliath. Wow, I, thank you. And so this week, we're talking about Jonah, Jonah chapter 1 and 2, and it's a small book towards the end of the Old Testament. And the main, main idea of the book is this idea of, of obedience and disobedience, of Jonah's basically doing the exact opposite of what God is doing. If he did the right thing, this book would be so short. We could preach on it in like 20 minutes, and it would be over, but we have a whole book because of this. But it's this idea of the, the rebellion inside of of humans, of a human's heart, this idea that like we we feel like we, we our inkling is towards towards doing what we want to do and not what God has called us to do. So we're gonna jump right into it, starting chapter one, verse one to three. Sweet. So it will be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you guys can also open those up. Um, so chapter one, one to three. Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So in the first three verses here, we're immediately introduced to kind of the main, the main characters and the direction of this book. So we have God, we have Jonah, and we have the mission. So starting with God, God speaks immediately to Jonah at the beginning of this book. So he's the one who is sort of spearheading this story, and it's his words that push Jonah to respond or not respond. So yeah, if Jonah responds and does what he's supposed to do, we're done. He's just going to go to Nineveh. It's going to happen. But he doesn't. So then immediately we know that God is a God who speaks in this story, and he speaks to this prophet. God is trusting Jonah with an opportunity to join together with what he is doing, to like live a life of obedience and actually follow him. So then we have Jonah, and Jonah is actually mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings. So he was a minor prophet, and a prophet is someone who hears from God and then proclaims that truth to the people. So he was prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam, which is one of the kings. And God uses Jonah in this story to prophesy to Nineveh. And what we do know about Jonah is that he was a strong-willed, dedicated, and disciplined prophet who was very much pro-Israel but very anti-foreigner, meaning that he really liked his own people, but anyone else who wasn't uh, from Israel, not for him. So there are actually no records in the entire Bible about a prophet who simply hears God's voice and does the exact opposite. So Jonah's rebellion to God is not just about the denial that he will be used by God, but more so about the fact that he wants absolutely nothing to do with showing forgiveness, grace, and mercy to his opposing and enemy nation. And then the mission. So God has chosen uh, Jonah to go to this, the city of Nineveh to give the people there this message. But it just so happens that the Ninevites were Jonah's least favorite people. It's great timing. So Jonah, being someone who's very pro-Israel, was not happy with the directions that he's been given. So Nineveh, quick little backstory, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrians were some of the cruelest people uh, and most violent in the ancient world at this time. This empire would pillage cities uh, leave corpses behind, and if you're really bored this, this summer and you need some light summer reading, look into the Assyrian history books. I read, this is what I read this week, and this is like, this is probably why Jonah was not excited to go. They would, the Assyrians would cut off their enemy's legs and just one of their arm so they could shake the hand of their enemy after they'd like taken over their city. Usually Craig gives like a, like a, a warning at that point. Like, this is where the story's like not for kids anymore. My bad. But yeah, so that is why, that is why Jonah is less than excited about the calling. He's probably a little bit, he's probably a little nervous at this point, especially since we know that Jonah prior to this story had actually prophesied correctly for Israel. And so Israel, this, I mean, Jonah at this point is known as a bit of a, like a rock star prophet. He's someone who has rightfully predicted. And so all of a sudden to have this, this calling on his life to do, to go to these people that he hates is like the worst. I don't want to do that. Yeah, so we learn here that Jonah, that we learn here that Jonah doesn't give one thought to what God is calling him into an act of obedience with. 
but he quickly says no and heads the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. Which, Ashley this week thought that Tarshish was like a, a combination of horseradish and tartar sauce. She legitimately was like, is Tarshish a city or is Tarshish like a side dip? That we actually had this conversation. So Ashley not only learned how to write a sermon this week, but also learned a lot about ancient history oh, and yeah. cities and geography. Exactly, and dips. And dip, that's that not, not a dip, a dip. <laughs> not a dip. <laughs> so Jonah runs in this direction because he's essentially trying to get as far away from God's presence as possible, which we come to learn that no matter where we go, we can never run far enough from God that he won't be able to find us. So he chooses to go to Tarshish because God had not physically revealed himself to the people there. So Jonah believed that, hey, this Tarshish is the perfect place to just hide from God, which we find out, again, is not true. We can't hide from God. So that's kind of the direction of this book. We see God and Jonah kind of dueling it out, figuring out what, like, who's going to bend. But it's also not really a duel because it's God, and Jonah is just simply stubborn. And we begin to see this pattern in the next section of God's character emerging through the story, his hand in it as he continues to guide Jonah. And so the next section, 4 to 17. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? It's a lot of questions. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord and the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick up. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous, that word, against them. Therefore, they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea seized from its raging, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here we are now introduced to some new characters in the story. So we got some sailors who were pagans. They were worshiping, as I would say, little g-gods. And they were not really belonging to any type of set religion. So a storm is now thrown into the mix, which is clearly a doing of God and not just a random accident, considering what Jonah had just done walking away in disobedience from God. So as Jonah joins this new crew of sailors on a journey to run away from God, 
he decides that it is the perfect time to take a nap and have some rest. So logically, this could quite possibly be due to his exhaustion and stress from being called to do something and then saying no, resulting in a big journey ahead of him to escape from God. So is this a relatable moment for anyone? You make a bad decision, something happens, you don't want to deal, out, deal with any of the fallout or anything, so you decide it will be cured and fixed by a quick 10-minute power nap. That is my ideal nap, 10 minutes. <laughs> so the captain of the ship then goes to wake up Jonah, and he's crying and pleading out to him to call out to his God to make this storm stop. Then the crew decides to cast lots to find out who caused this storm. So casting lots was a very normal thing back in that day, and it's the process of elimination. So what they would do is sometimes grab something small, like small stones, and put it in a container. And if they came up or rolled in a certain way, that would result in a yes or no answer for the group. So as they were casting lots, this resulted in Jonah being the one who caused the storm to come from God. So finding out this news after the lots were cast on Jonah, the sailors were shaken and had no idea what to do. They started to interrogate him with a ton of questions, like asking him who he is, where he's from, and who he worships. So this question was common in the ancient world. These pagans have the worldview that most people had three gods that they worshiped. So a God who oversaw their family, a God who oversaw their nation, and a God who oversaw any of their personal needs. So they throw at him these five questions, and Jonah's the given the opportunity to respond. But instead of leading with the fact that he, you know, the whole, like, I'm a prophet, I worship Yahweh, I'm running away from him, instead he, he uh, responds by saying that he's a Hebrew first. And then, and then he leads with the fact that he fears the Lord. It's a small detail, but order in in the Bible, like in how things are said, is often of importance. So the fact that he leads with his nationality over his allegiance to, to Yahweh says something about him. It says that he, his, his identity is actually more rooted in his nationality than his allegiance to a God. So while Jonah had faith in God, based on this, it appears not to have been as deep and as fundamental to his identity as his race. This may explain why, again, that call to Nineveh, if he's so rooted in his people, uh, would have been not something he wanted to do. So the sailors, being afraid of what's to come, ask Jonah what to do next. And then Jonah basically explains, throw me overboard. Like, kind of dramatic moment. Like, how do we, how, what should we do? Like, just, just throw me, throw me off the boat. So they were hesitant as they shouted, they shouted to God in hope that, like, they would be heard, and that they wouldn't actually have to do this. They literally just met this guy, and they're hoping that the solution isn't to kill him. But ultimately, they knew that this is what had to happen. So they obey Jonah's command to throw him into the sea, and immediately at once, the sea is stilled, and the raging has ended. These pagan worshipers then turn to God and vow to serve him, and they worship him. So Jonah, being thrown into the sea, like, actually causes these, uh, these pagans to worship. And so Jonah was thrown in, and a fish comes, swallows him. He sits in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, which actually, uh, if you know in the New Testament, Jesus 
when he spends three days and three nights in the tomb. In the ancient world, for someone to be deemed dead, they needed to actually spend three, it was like three days and three nights when they could officially announce that. So it's like, it's, this whole section, it's a classic story. You know, you're just, you're stuck on a ship, you don't know what to do, you're in a storm, and you just get thrown overboard, and then you're just swallowed by a fish. We've all been there. Definitely. <laughs> so when we look at these verses as a whole, most readers might think that the sole focus is on Jonah, which is a good guess, makes sense. The book we are reading is called Jonah. Um, so in fact, God is actually very present throughout the entire bit of scripture. So let's continue to trace Jonah and God throughout this story. So starting with God, God's command for Jonah to give a message to the Ninevites was the command that led to Jonah rebelling which then gave room for God to hurl the storm in response to Jonah's act of disobedience. And the lots that were thrown and landing on Jonah also allowed God to choose Jonah onto that. And the sea was uh, completely calm once Jonah was thrown in. So all of this, all of this work is the doing of God. Although for most of this section, we don't hear God speaking or anything like that, we can clearly see that God is doing some pretty huge behind-the-scenes work to show up in the story of Jonah. So we can take this image and look at it in our own lives. It shows us that God is in the daily, in the mundane, in the life of us constantly. Although we might not be able to hear an audible voice from God like Jonah did in the first few verses, we can see God show up in our lives in so many different ways, just like we have been able to see God do that up until this point in the story of Jonah. So Jonah probably didn't realize it at this time, but by God providing the fish was almost a way of God showing that salvation to Jonah. Jonah could have very well been thrown into the ocean and then drowned, which would have made some sense considering the large act of disobedience that he just did. But God used this opportunity to show up. He used this opportunity to show Jonah the large act of his mercy and redemption power. I'm sure that if I got swallowed by a fish for a whole three days and three nights, I probably would have been confused and mad at God. I probably wouldn't have been able to see that God was in the midst of it all because I probably wouldn't associate a big fish with his salvation and saving works and redemption. But here we get to zoom out and see the bigger picture of how God is working in Jonah's life. So this entire section allows us to understand the background works of God just a little bit more and it shows us that God is always in the midst of our presence working hard to save us and redeem us back into his love, his mercy, and his heart. I love that. I love this story. I love this story because it's, it feels like it's so focused on Jonah, but throughout it, you have God continually trying to bring Jonah back. But then we have Jonah. We see Jonah here completely running, running away from all of his problems, trying to run as far away from God as possible, thinking that God's presence doesn't exist in Tarshish. He knows that in his heart, he's obviously done something wrong. You wouldn't be running away if you thought you were, you were innocent. But I feel like that's a bit of a relatable moment. It's like when you're a little kid and your parents ask you to like unload the dishwasher or just like some small task around the house. And uh, instead you run upstairs, you hide in your room or you like get away. 
maybe in a toy basket or a laundry bin, wherever it is that you like, I gotta get out of here. And then in that moment, you think that your parents aren't, aren't after you. They, but in fact, the parent is actually keeping like one eye open. Or even if you're playing hide and seek with a kid, you count to 20 seconds, but you kind of keep one eye open because you just want to like make sure that they're not just like wandering off like somewhere that they shouldn't. That's kind of God in this moment. You know that you can see this kid running away and you see the exact place that they've hidden, but they are so confident that all along this is actually a true game of hide and seek. But in fact, God's eyes are open and they see, he sees Jonah. And that is exactly what's happening right here with Jonah and God. Jonah, 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 Jonah. Jonah thought it was a good idea for him to run to Tarshish. Because as we said, it was as he believed, a place where God wasn't there. But as we found out from seeing God's play, God play a role in this story, it's almost funny to think that he thought that. So Jonah falls asleep, and as we said, relatable moment, naps solve honestly all problems. Ashley's a 10 minute napper. I'm like, if I fall asleep, it's, it's two and a half, three hours max. I, I feel like this is Jonah in that story. He's probably, he's probably been out for a long time. But then Jonah's approached. He's approached by the sailor, the captain, and he's asked, like, where's your God? And the right thing for Jonah to do, to do in this situation would be to repent. But instead, he demands the sailors just to throw him in potentially another escape from God. So Jonah is constantly moving farther and farther away from God's presence. And Jonah may have felt ashamed of what he had done up to this point, resulting in him just simply not wanting to repent. Jonah's willingness to die and be thrown into the ocean, not knowing that the fish is there to save him, was potentially him realizing his guilt. So while there isn't repentance, there is some assumption by Jonah in the story that like, I have done something wrong. It was an act from Jonah, acknowledging that his disobedience could lead him to death. But surprisingly, in such a crazy circumstance, God still uses Jonah in this incredible way. After Jonah was thrown into the water, confident in the fact that the storm would stop, it did. And these pagan worshipers were so amazed that the storm was in fact over and caused by this God that they begin to worship him for his great power. So zoom out for a quick second. Jonah in this story is so adamant to get away from these non-Israelite people that he gets on the ship to go in the opposite direction. But all of this just ends up with him in the water, swallowed by a fish, and these non-Israelite people that he just doesn't like, that they end up becoming like worshipers of Yahweh themselves. So his act of obedience in this moment, despite it also being a huge act of disobedience, actually leads to people's salvation in knowing Yahweh, which is big. Sometimes our small acts of obedience in our own lives, even if we don't realize it actually is obedience, can lead others to the goodness of God. Our lives can be a testimony to other people around us leading to seeds being planted in people's hearts to actually know Yahweh himself. God will use us in many ways to impact the lives of those around us, even if we don't know it's actually happening. Sweet. So as we move on to the second chapter, I'm just going to read um, the second chapter. It's 1 to 10. It'll also be on the screen again. Um, but it's about Jonah's prayer. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. 
saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah, at this point, the beginning of the story of chapter 2, is in the belly of the fish, kind of reflecting on what has gone on, has been going on up to this point kind of a somber reality. He thought that he could escape God by death and then from drowning, but nope, God was sneaky and saved him. He actually was able to uh, be saved rather than simply escaping what he wanted, which is at this point, like, I feel like Jonah would just give up. Like, if you are this adamant on getting away from the presence of God, he sends a fish, I would be like, I don't even know what I would be doing at this point. But the belly of the fish must, belly of the fish must have felt like a safe place for Jonah, potentially a safe, quiet, and secure place for Jonah for three days to reflect. There really wasn't much to do anyways besides sitting, thinking, praying. There was, no, there was no Netflix at this time, so you couldn't just kill 72 hours straight and like finish everything you want. It's probably like the entire, season, like, entire office. It's like yeah. 10 seasons? Yeah, probably. Eight seasons? Nine? Nine. Nine. I think. That's my bad. <laughs> At this point in the story, God has brought Jonah to his lowest point. And God, the thing is that God allows this sometimes in our lives, recognizing that when we've lost everything, we realize that it's only from this place that like, God can truly use us. And that's where we recognize his grace. Jonah now sees that his failures in his life have been given uh, he sees the failures in this moment and has been given the time to reflect on it. Which reminds me of this story. Uh, in 2008, at a commencement speech um, at Harvard University, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, uh, described a similar moment in her own life. She said that she failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and about as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. But then she adds, I began to direct all of my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I recently succeeded at anything else, I might have never been able to find the determination to succeed in the arena of writing, in which I believed I truly belonged. Which, of course, that writing goes on to become the Harry Potter series. So her, see, her success was built on her failures. So this is where we find Jonah at the end of chapter two, or the beginning of chapter two, sitting in the belly of a fish underwater. So in this prayer, Jonah obviously prays about a lot of different things. It seems like each line is just something completely different. 
So God uses this time of being in the belly of the fish for Jonah, not only for saving him and offering him continued salvation through it, but also a time for Jonah to be able to connect with God and to think about what has just been going on. It's a time for Jonah to be with God, to be able to be with the one who created him and to turn from how he was just acting before. God shows up big time to Jonah through this act of saving and mercy, showing him that he is all-powerful and mighty. It seems as though God has given Jonah a space to be able to process what has just been going on, and most importantly, experience the presence and overwhelming love and mercy that God has to give him. So in the last verse of this chapter, after Jonah's prayer, he was spat up by the fish, which is just even more of an evidence of God giving us a second chance to take his hand and to walk in obedience with him. This truly shows us the difference between what happens when you say yes to God and what happens when you say no to God. And Nate and I have been Trying to find a time to say this, like, joke. I don't know if it's actually that funny, but you want to say it? I don't think it it is. Or do you want me to say it? We've been trying to work in the whole, like, Joe, nah to God, or say Joe, yeah to God. Like, Joe, nah, Joe. We tried really hard. We should have left it. We should have left it upstairs. I think it's funny. We laughed at it a lot this week. We thought it was really funny. We almost named our sermon after that. It would have been a really long title. Um... But at least we got to share it, so. <laughs> so Jonah starts off his psalm by acknowledging that God had answered him after calling to him in his distress. So in verse 4, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So this is a pivotal time of realization for Jonah that he can't actually do this all by himself. And that, in fact, he does need God to get through the trials of life. He understands that, yeah, he did reject the command, but then he is realizing what this rejection has done. And now he wants to be back within the holiness of God. So Jonah then begins to dwell in the past, describing feelings and imagery of being tangled up in seaweed and such. Yeah, at the end of that line, he is declaring that God did, in fact, bring him up from this pit. So there seems to be this heart change for Jonah. Seeing as mentioned before, he was totally okay with escaping God through death. But being in the belly of the whale uh, allowed Jonah the freedom to speak his mind out to God and have God work in and through his heart to potentially change it uh, for the better. But at the same time, we don't really, we don't know that because in the next part of the book, as we talk, we're going to talk about it next week again, uh, we don't know if there's actually a heart change. He says these things, and it sounds really nice, and like, we believe these things, but the thing is, does Jonah at this point believe that? As, as we'll see next week, Jonah's still being quite frustrated at what happens in Nineveh. The psalm concludes with Jonah praying out to God with thanksgiving. His heart seems to have changed somewhat due to the time spent with God in the belly. So Jonah vows to stick with what he has what he's been saying and following the Lord, declaring that salvation does belong to God. Jonah is then spat up on the beach, 
feeling the freedom of God, giving him a second chance in this situation, and also wanting to potentially walk in a life of obedience with him. So God's pursuit of Jonah brings him to this extremely low place before he frees Jonah to give him a second chance. So what now? What exactly is our response? So to close the first, throughout the first two chapters of Jonah, we learn a lot about God and how he works, as well as a lot about what happens when we walk with him and when we don't walk with him. So first off, God. We can leave reading these chapters knowing that God is always working. Whether we see it or not, he is in the nature, he's in our conversations, in our work, and in our mundane and daily lives. We might not be able to see God or physically feel him or even hear his audible voice, but we can rest in knowing that he is always there. There is no place on this earth that we can run far enough to escape his presence, love, and mercy. He is always there before us and behind us in everything we do if we just simply say yes and invite him in to do so. We might not know why God is throwing a storm in our direction or why we are sitting in the belly of a fish, but it is all for his great and big plan towards us, leading us on a path of righteousness to glorify him and to live a life with him. And it truly works out all in the end for his glory. So lastly, Jonah. From Jonah saying no and then saying yes to the command that God was calling him into, we're able to grasp a better understanding on what it means to live with God. So when we turn from God in disobedience and we tried to do it on our own terms and our own strength, everything goes the opposite way. Storms come in and create destruction in our path. So trying to do it on our own strength, it always ends up with us just surrendering to God and realizing that we do need him and his direction. When Jonah jumped in the water, giving up everything, God continued to show his might and his power by stopping the storm before the eyes of the pagan sailors. Once Jonah was able to truly reflect inside of the fish, he had a better realization for what exactly he had just done and that saying no to God isn't really the way to do things. When we say yes to God and what he is calling us to do for and with him, we're able to have faith and trust in the fact that God's got us, that we have nothing to worry about because we have surrendered our plans and our strength to the one who has created us. So walking in obedience with God is the best thing that we can do. Even when it's uncertain and we have no idea what is going on, he will guide us with his strength in our faith. Yeah, let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much that you're a God who pursues us, who invites us into a, a life of obedience with you. So God, I pray that you would uh, reveal to us this morning what that looks like, where, where there are opportunities to say yes, what it looks like to, to pursue you and to follow you. So God, we thank you and we, we just give this all to you in your name. Amen.